Good morning, Live Oak. Glad to be with you on this hot Sunday in July. Supposed to get to 105 today. That's awful. Ugh, that's right. Well, I'm glad I'm with you this morning. My name is Clay Thomas. I am the worship pastor here at Live Oak. And uh, if you have not been coming these past few weeks, maybe this is your first Sunday, uh, I'm so glad you're here. We have been digging through such a good series over Ephesians. Uh, this is a dig in and market up series. And what I love about this series so far is we haven't just been learning about uh, what's in Ephesians and being taught what, what God is teaching us through Paul about being united as one body uh, in Christ, but all the different things in Ephesians we're being taught, but also that we're, we're taking time to really equip and train people to dig into God's word to mark up your word, and to know what, you're, what God is telling you by, on your own time, digging through the word yourself. We don't want you to be dependent on digging through the word only on a Sunday morning where you open up your Bible and you need a pastor to, go, to walk through the text with you. That's not our goal whatsoever. We want God's word in your hand every single day where you are digging in and you're asking questions and you're studying God's word all for the sake of your growth in your faith. That's why I've loved this series because it's helped equip us and train us to study God's word. So I highly encourage you, if you have not been a part of this series or if you've missed a few Sundays here and there, man, go to our website, look up the, the previous messages on our website. Doug and Mark have done a phenomenal job I'm going to try and follow in their footsteps as we dig through Ephesians 4, um, but it really has been such a great series, so I highly encourage you to do that. All right, if you, uh, if you don't know, we kind of take a little bit to kind of do a little DIY, Bible do-it-yourself. This morning, I kind of want to talk about context, because context is key when it comes to digging into God's Word, and we're going to see a great example of that as we dig through Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. But when it comes to context, uh, we see a lot of times, especially on social media, Scripture can be taken out of context pretty easily. We see a verse posted, uh, and they're trying to relate it to something that has nothing to do with what that verse means or the intent of that author writing that. And so context is key when, we co- when it comes to studying God's Word. Think about context is we need to know maybe a little bit before what it says, So reading some scripture before, maybe reading some scripture after of whatever verse you're on or whatever passage you're going through, because if you don't, if you're not careful, you may read something and totally twist what the intent of that scripture is. And that's where you kind of get all these twisted doctrines or maybe some cults that have evolved. It's because of there is scripture taken out of context and to be spoken as truth when really it's not. So if we're going to study God's word and we're going to try and apply this to our lives, we have to know what it means. So you have to understand context. So if you're with me on that and you want to dig through that and kind of understand a little bit more about context, we're going to study that this morning through Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip your way on over there. And there's a pin in the front of your, in the, front, or the seat in front of you. I would say go ahead and grab that because we are digging in and we are marking up our Bibles today, all right? If you don't have your Bible, that is okay. I highly encourage you to download this Bible app. Uh, a few of these Sundays, I've taken notes on my Bible app. 
I can highlight verses on my Bible app. It's phenomenal. So if you are digital, not uh, paper, that's totally fine too. Uh, and you can dig in and mark up your Bible app. If you don't like any of those methods, of course, we're always going to show it on the screen for you. So you can be very visual. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to start in verse 17, and I'm going to read it off the screen for you. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Mm, that's great stuff, huh? <laughs> That'll lift you up right there, man. So within this text, this passage of Scripture, we would probably think that the subject of this is the Gentiles because majority of the Scripture here is talking about Gentiles, right? So we have Gentiles, and we see that they're futile in their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God, they're ignorant, they have hardened hearts, they have lost all sensitivity. In other words, that's saying like they're callous. That might be your version. They are, they become callous. Uh, it says they have indulged in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, just because a passage of Scripture talks primarily about a certain thing doesn't mean that's the main subject here. We would think Gentiles are the main subject here, but if you look closely at verse, uh, the very first verse at the very top, it says, so I tell you this and insist on in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. You is actually our subject. That's the focus. Gentiles is just a description of how we are no longer to live, but you are the focus. So who is you? Who am I? <laughs> Sorry, I went Zoolander there. Who am I? Who are you? And, 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 and we got to figure that out based off of context. So if you were here last week, you kind of have an advantage because Mark took us into the, the passage previously of this. It is uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and it goes all the way through 16, and it's all about the body of Christ. Jews and Gentiles together, united by Christ as the body. Everyone has their unique giftings. Everyone has their unique traits that God has given them. And it's all about working together, communicating together, leaning on one another in the body of Christ as Jesus is the head. So if he's talking about the body of Christ, he's talking about believers. Therefore, you and I, Christians, are the subject here. Now, this is where I think I have heard this passage preached several times, and it's, I think I've heard it in a way that's just kind of dangerous and not productive for me. And what I, what I mean by that is, here's what we, we tend to do. And honestly, this is naturally what I do when I come to Scripture like this. So I kind of make a what not to do list. So I, I would say, okay, this is what I'm not supposed to do. If I'm no longer to live like the Gentiles, then this is what I'm not supposed to do. I'm not supposed to be futile in my thinking, darkened in my understanding, separated from the life of God, ignorant, hardened hearts, lost all sensitivity, given themselves over to sensuality. I don't want to indulge in every kind of impurity. I don't want to be greedy. 
I don't want to be full of greed. So I take the scripture and I'm, I, yeah, I make it like this checklist and say, okay, every single day, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And, and I think the problem with that and the danger of that, based off the text we've been given, if we just read that only and say, okay, I'm no longer supposed to live like the Gentiles, and then I have a whole list of things of what not to do, then every day I'm going to take this list and I'm going to say, okay, I'm not going to do this, not going to do this, not going to do this. The problem with that is I'm human. (laughs) And since I am human, more than likely I'm going to fail at this. I'm going to fail at this list. I I may be good for a month. No, I may be good for a couple weeks. Honestly, if I'm real with myself, I'll probably be good for maybe a few days. But somewhere along the way, I'm going to fail at this list. And if I'm going to fail at this, I'm given nothing else to help me when it comes to this. All I'm told is, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And this is where I think it's dangerous, because I've heard so many pastors say, hey, if we are Christians, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You see how the Gentiles are? Don't do that. And it's almost like this hammering over your head, and it just doesn't feel good. It's like, reminder, okay, I'm not supposed to do this, but what I'm wrestling with here is sometimes I do. Sometimes I struggle with this. Sometimes I am greedy. So what do I do here? I know I'm not supposed to do this, but what do I do? I'm missing something. Based off this, we are missing something. What are we missing? And this is where it's so important to understand context. It's so important to read above and read below to really understand what the author is meaning. Because if you just take the passage we went through alone, you're going to create this what not to do list, and you're going to struggle because you're not going to be completely obedient to that list. There's going to be times where you are greedy. There's going to be times where you you indulge in some impurities if you're trying to do it alone. We're missing something because we are incapable of fulfilling that list on our own. So let's read in the next set of scripture, the next passage, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 20. It says this, That, however, is not the way of life you learn when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, immediately when I see this passage... I can, I can connect it to the previous one, right? I see some of the same things. I see your former way of life. I see your old self, right? No longer live like the Gentiles, right? In a list of all those things. That's my former way of life. That's my old self. And that is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. My old self, my flesh, is corrupted by its deceitful desires. But then comes this verb, and the verb changes everything. The verb answers what is missing. I am unable to complete this list of what not to do on my own power, on my own accord. So what am I missing here? And I want you to circle this. If you have a Bible, I want you to circle this verb. It says, to be made new. Maybe your your translation says renewed. Circle that because that verb is key in how we can fulfill this answer, what's missing. The reason it's key is because in order to be renewed, you need something or someone to cause 
to, to make new, to cause the renewal process. It can't be done on your own. You need something else. For instance, uh, I've got two boys that love to tear up my house. They love just pulling out toys and just dumping them everywhere. Sometimes right after we clean it, and I'm like, well, that's the reason we got toys. They were supposed to play with them, but man, this house looks good when it's clean. So our house can just be a mess. Now, in order to make our house clean, somebody's got to do it. Like, I can't just wait here, make a checklist and say, this is what needs to happen. This is, this is what needs to be done in order for our house to clean and just sit there and say, okay, why isn't my house clean yet? Why isn't it new, right? I have to end up cleaning it. My wife's over there saying, you, you never clean. What are you talking about? I'm the one who cleans it. We, as a family, we try and clean our house. And we try and get the boys to clean up their toys. We are the ones making it clean again. It's a renewal process that's caused by someone or something. When it comes to our old self, when it comes to uh, our life that looks like the Gentiles, this description, indulging in impurities and loss of sensitivity, callous towards others, in order to fulfill a what-not-to-do list, and it's not even about that, but in order to fulfill what's missing, we have to be renewed, and since we are incapable of doing that ourselves, it takes someone or something to make us new, and the answer is right in here. I want you to draw an arrow to Jesus, to be made new in Jesus. See, in him, this is all about Christ. When you are made new by Jesus, you have a new heart. You have a new mind. It even says it right here. To be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on a new self. You have a new self. You have a new identity that can only be found in Jesus. When it comes to this old life and all these sinful desires and these deceitful desires of the flesh, you cannot conquer those. You cannot put those aside without being made new in Jesus, having a new identity. We just sang about it this morning. I am who you say I am. Not who I say I am, but who you say I am because you have made me new. God gives us a new heart and a new mind, and then he seals it, this new identity that we have in Jesus, he seals it with the Holy Spirit, which we learned about in Ephesians 1, I think it's verse 13, where it talks about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And when God seals you with his Holy Spirit, giving you the Holy Spirit, you now have this power of God. You're incapable of fulfilling this list on your own, but because you are made new in Jesus, you have the power through Christ to fulfill this list. You have the power to do the things of God. You're not seeing it as a to-do list anymore. You're seeing the focus is on the new identity. I think what really helps me in this is when I think of my, when I think of my dad. Growing up, my dad would drop me off at school, and uh, he would always yell out, he has window down, and he'd always yell out these random phrases, these weird words. Uh, he'd be like, carpe diem, son, seize the day. And I'm just like walking to school, I'm like, 
whose dad is that, guys? Like, what is this? this man, somebody get him out of here. And, uh, and he would always do things like that. Remember who you are and whose you are. Represent son. Like, he just, he loves saying these phrases. And I remember he would say this one phrase. He would go, Bethendo. And he'd like hold it out at the end. Oh. And like, Bethendo? You just made up a word. Like, what is that? And I knew what he meant because he wouldn't just say these, fr- these phrases to me as I'm walking into school and me, me being like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? He would teach me this. He would talk to me about this. But what he means by Bethendo is be, then, do. Be, then, do. What he means by that is be who you are in Christ first. First, be who you are in Christ your new identity. He has made you new. So know that you are his. Be who you are in Christ, then do. See, so many times we look at that scripture and we're like, I need to do, 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 do. Or I need to not do, not do, not do. And when we make those lists and we focus on the things to do without focusing on who we are in Christ, we get burned out. It doesn't work. We end up struggling and struggling and struggling. We're like, man, this is just not it for me. A lot of times, like, there's people here that come and and they have no relationship with Jesus whatsoever, but since they're coming, and they're coming with Christian friends, and they have maybe Christian family, they're doing all the things that the Christians are doing, but it's just, it's not sitting right with them. Something's off, and it's because there's no being. There's no being in Jesus, being made new in Christ. You're not going to be able to do the things of God unless you are made new in God. Christ makes you new. So when it comes to living out who you are in Christ, first you have to be, and then you're going to see all your actions take place. You're going to see fruit being bearing out of you. I don't even know if bearing is the right word, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like you are going to produce the things of God and do his will as long as you're focusing on the right thing, not the list of to-dos or not to-dos, but being in Christ. I am who you say I am living out who you are in Christ. And when you live out who you are in Christ, what you believe, your relationship with Jesus, when you're made new, what you believe should drive every facet of your life. You mean, my life is a mess. I need to do this, do this. I need to not do this, not do this. It's not going to work. When you come to know Jesus and you have this new identity in him, what you believe, that relationship, then will drive every facet of your life. It's going to affect your actions. Your relationship with Jesus will affect your actions. Right? So if uh, I'm married, right here, married, Taken. I know nobody's interested anyways, but married, taken. Now, because of my relationship with my wife, because of my marriage, my marriage is going to affect my actions. You will never see me take another woman out on a date. That's where my wife says, amen, right? No, you will never see me take another woman out on a date. Why? Because my marriage, my relationship with my wife, it affects my actions, okay? When it comes to Uh, My words, my relationship with Christ will affect my words. Let's take marriage again. Because of my relationship with my wife, because I am married to my wife, I will never flirt with another girl. I'm not going to 
spit game, even though I don't have any, but I'm not going to say things that would come off flirtatious or show interest in another woman because my marriage affects my words. We even went through a series uh, called Blessed, Blessing, one of those, but it's all about the word bless, and we talked about this word eulageo, which is this Greek word meaning to bless another person, but really specifically it's talking about to speak well of, to praise, to lift up, to edify another. So when it comes to the body of Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus, we're united as one body under Jesus, and we're leaning on one another, we need to bless others with our words. Because of our relationship with Jesus, it will affect our words. We're going to lift people up. We're going to encourage others. We're going to speak love, not hate. And when it comes to your relationship with Christ, what you believe, driving every facet of your life, when it comes to your relationship with Christ, it will affect your heart and your mind. Sometimes there's the word that's used for that goes with both, your heart and mind. It can mean your mind. It can mean your heart as well. There's a connection there is what I'm getting at. And when you have a relationship with Christ, let's take marriage, for instance. And, and we're even going to learn about this. When we hit Ephesians 5, Jesus, I mean, he, his relationship with his church and this marriage, bridegroom, I mean, it's a beautiful example. So when it comes to marriage, it's almost like God laying out what we need to be doing. So when it comes to my marriage with my wife, my relationship with my wife will affect my thoughts and it'll affect my heart, right? I'm not, I'm not going to lust after another woman in my mind because of my relationship with my wife. It affects my thoughts. Matthew chapter 5 even tells me where Jesus says, man, if, if you're lusting after another woman in your mind or in your heart, you're already committing adultery with her in your heart. So because of my marriage, because of my relationship with my wife, I will no longer no longer sounds bad. I was doing it and now I'm not. No, I, because of my relationship with my wife, I am not going to lust after another woman in my mind. I'm not going to have those kind of thoughts. And if I do, I'm going to say that is not of God. I, remember, I need to remember who I am in Christ. Not, oh, I don't need to do that, don't need to do that, don't need to do that. No, I go back to who I am in Christ. Who does he say I am. Who has he made me new? He's given me new desires. So I'm going to let my thoughts, I'm going to let my heart, I'm going to let my words, I'm going to let my actions be a reflection of who I am in Christ. What you believe should drive every facet of your life, aka live who you are in Christ. And that is on the focus of the new identity you have in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, and John chapter 15, verse 8, talks about true disciples of Jesus are those who are bearing fruit. Now, the emphasis is not on the fruit. The emphasis is on Jesus. Those who are rooted in Christ, those who are made new in Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus, they are producing fruit. Therefore, we know it's in Christ that our actions reflect what we believe, living out our faith in him. I love, uh, I love David. David is, is just unbelievable because I can, 
I can relate to him. Like, he is a great sinner like me, but he loves Jesus. He loves God. I, I mean, David is, is, is says, a man after God's own heart. And so David ends up committing, uh, he commits adultery. He commits murder. He tries to cover it up and lie all about it. And I love that we, in, in Psalm 51, we find David in just this state of repentance. He's not focusing on doing and not doing. David is just focusing on renewal. In Psalm 51.10, it says that David asks God for a clean heart, a new heart, and he asks to renew a right spirit within him. So the focus is on renewal. The focus is on who he is in God and that newness dictating his life, not his flesh dictating his life. Now you may say, okay, here's the thing. I like being in control. I don't care what to-do list you're talking about. I don't care what new identity you're talking about. I like who I am because I'm in control of who I am. Therefore, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to say what I want, and I'm going to think what I want. No God is going to tell me otherwise. No scripture is going to tell me otherwise. No pastor is going to tell me otherwise. I want to do what I want. There's times you may feel that way, or that may just be your motive in life. You like being in control, and you're going to just do what you want. You don't care about the consequences of your actions, the consequences of your words that you speak, or your thoughts and the direction it leads you in. What we know is that our flesh, our heart, is wicked. I love how Doug always, he, he always says, follow your heart. That's the worst advice anybody could ever give you because your heart is so wicked. Your heart is not good. So if you want to follow your heart and do whatever you want to do, you're going to lead a life that's filled with corruption. If it's similar to how the Gentiles are living, you're going to be separated from the life of God, meaning you will have no life. If you have no life, that means you receive death. And I don't want that for you. If you allow yourself to just be ruled and enslaved to your flesh, you will be corrupted by the deceitful desires of it and you will take on death instead of life. You will, never, you will not be made new into the newness of life that God intended you to have. Instead, your sins or your flesh will own you, and you will be drowning in a life of misery and a life that leads straight to death. And I don't want that for you. I, I went to... I went to Belize uh, on a mission trip for a couple years in a row. I took students and adults, and uh, each time we went on this trip, we went to these incredible ruins uh, that were there of the old uh, tribes that used to live there, and it was beautiful. I mean, we're walking in, and there's monkeys everywhere, and there's all kinds of different flowers and plant life, and uh, that's, that's my scene, all right? Planet Earth is like my favorite TV show of all time. So I'm geeking out, I'm nerding out. And I asked the tour guide, like all the, all the students and adults went ahead 
and I'm just like drilling the, stu- the, the tour guide with questions. Hey, what flower is that? Hey, what monkey is that? And I could tell the guy's probably just so annoyed at me. But I ask, I ask him about this tree. I see this beautiful tree, and it's like, it's, it's the smoothest tree you'll ever see. Like, there's no bark. There's nothing flaking off of it. It's just so smooth all the way around. And I was like, man, what kind of tree is that? And, uh, and he goes, it's dead. I go, what? what? Dead? What do you mean? It, it looks huge. It's giant. There's, there's no way this tree's dead. And he's like, it's dead because that's poison wrapped around it. This poison, what it does is it, it consumes it, it wraps around it, and then it grows up the tree and suffocates it, wraps fully around it, and then everything inside dies. And I was like, man, it doesn't look like that on the outside, but in the inside, it is so dead. I'm thinking, man, like, our flesh is so similar to that. The desires of our flesh can just consume us, own us, and if we just feed the flesh over and over and over again, feed our desires, now I'm going to do what I want, I'm going to say what I want, I'm going to think what I want, if we do that over and over and over again, we're going to get consumed by this. And the scary thing is, is somebody may not even see that on the outside, but on the inside, we are just corrupting and destroying our lives. That is not how you were created to be. That is not what God wants for you. And the reason I know that and I can say that in firm faith today is this last line that we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Look at this. This last line says, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And let's go ahead and take like all the markings away and really what this passage can tell us is you were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God created you and designed you and gave you these giftings and gave you this incredible personality and these traits and he designed you, created you to be like him in true righteousness and holiness. What that tells me is like, okay, so this old self that I have, I picture like this massive jacket that's over me, and it's all my junk, all my sin, all of my rebelliousness, everything. It's filthy, right? It's dirty. It's heavy. And I've got this jacket on, and then when I am made new in Jesus, it's like Jesus takes this jacket off me. It's not my doing. It's his doing, and he puts on this new jacket, and it's light. It's filled with light, and there's this unbelievable embrace of it that just feels filled with like hope and peace and joy that comes with it. And I'm no longer weighed down. I'm lifted up from this jacket. It's like this old self has passed. I have a new self, a new identity in Christ. And instead of feeling unworthy, sinful, and disgusting about myself, I am now filled with righteousness and holiness. There is this holiness aspect of this jacket that fills me up. It's who God created me to be, and I couldn't do it on my own. I had to be renewed. I had to be made new in Christ. I had to have a new self, and the old self had to pass. I want that for you this morning. If you've never experienced newness in Christ, I want that for you, because I don't want you to keep living a life that leads to corruption and that leads to death. You know it doesn't satisfy you, even though you try everything and anything to fill that gap. 
It's because you weren't created to be like that. You were created to be like God, to have newness of life through Jesus. I'll end with this, and I think this is the greatest thing about this passage. Who's Paul talking to again? He's talking to Christians. This is all dealing with Christians. This isn't non-believers. He's talking to Christians, meaning that even believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, people who have been renewed by Christ, that have a new identity in Jesus, are still struggling with this. Thank you, God. <laughs> like, doesn't that just make you feel good? Because I'm like, man, I'm so far from perfect. I know what I want to do, but I seem to not be doing it, right? I struggle with this. Christians may struggle with this new identity at times and focusing on the new identity, which will affect all the facets of your life. I think it means that if we, as believers in Jesus, stop focusing on what to do or what not to do, but focus on who we are in Christ, be, then do, we're going to see our life change. We're going to see righteousness coming out of us. We're going to see holiness filled in us. We're going to see people being affected by us with the love of Christ because we're not focusing on doing, we're focusing on who we are in Christ. Your relationship with Jesus will affect your actions, will affect your words, will affect your thoughts, and it will affect your heart. Let's, let's be like David and ask God, renew my heart, renew my mind. I messed up. I got I have these deceitful desires still going on. I messed up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay that at your feet. You need to remind me who I am in Christ. I'm not going to sing it out loud. And I'm going to praise you, God, because of who you made me in Jesus. And because of my, my newness in you, I'm going to see my actions follow. I'm going to see the things that are of God and do those things, not focusing on what to do, but focusing on who I am in you. I'm going to edify, I'm going to build people up, I'm going to bless others, eulageo, not because I'm focusing on what to say, but I'm focusing on who I am in Jesus, who you've made me to be, created me to be. And I may disguise everybody with my, with my words and with my actions, my heart still could be wicked, my mind could still be messed up, so instead of trying to train my mind on what to think, I am going to instead focus on who I am in Jesus my new identity, my new self in him, and allow that to produce the thoughts of God. Allow my heart to be renewed by the power of God. And I'm going to be living out my new self in Jesus. That's what I want for myself every day, and that's what I want for you as well. I believe that's what Paul is talking about here in in chapter 4. Not about do this, not do this, but about your new identity only found in Christ. And the effect from that because of Jesus. It is by grace you are saved through faith in Jesus. This is not of your own doing. This is a gift from God. Let's stand together. Father, I cannot thank you enough for Jesus. God, you looked at us with love and compassion. You created me to be like you, but I was born into sin. 
separated from the life of God. And you looked at me with love and mercy and and made a way through your son Jesus to make us new, to give us new desires and new hope, to have purpose on this earth. You've given us life in this newness, Lord. So God, we thank you for that. We praise you. We, We testify we are who you say we are. And God, we ask for help because we still have these deceitful desires that can affect us. So God, we ask that you remind us of who we are in you, our new identity in you. Remind us and put on our hearts and put on our new minds to do the things of God and and saying the things of God rather than the things of the flesh. But not focusing on those things, only focusing on you and have you produce that out of us. We need help with that, God, because we're dumb. Because sometimes we're selfish and we follow our own will instead of yours. So thank you for inspiring Paul to write these words and encourage the church, encourage the body of believers to follow you, to know you, to have this relationship with you, to remind us of who we are not, but also who we are in you. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I'll be down at the front if you want to talk.